This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name, but the sword was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth becomes so hard to see. The world is on their way to you. But they're tripping over me Always looking around but never looking up I'm so double-minded A plank-eyed saint with dirty hands And a heart divided Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners Open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Jesus, friend of sinners, the one who's riding in the sand, may the righteous turn away and the stones fall from their hands. Help us to remember we are all the least of these. Let the memory of your mercy drive their people to their knees. Nobody knows what we're for, only what we're against when we judge the wounded. What if we put down our signs, crossed over the lines, and loved like you did? Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. You are good, you are good. 
perfect lead-in for our study today. If you would open your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 16. Genesis, chapter 16. And, you know, we've been studying the book of Haggai, so you ought to be able to find Genesis a little bit easier than Haggai. You know, I found that hidden in the the shadows and nestled in the crevices of uh, fairly well-known stories in the Bible are some powerful but many times unnoticed secondary truths. And it's, it's probably my warped personality, I'll admit that, but I love trying to dig past the obvious in Scripture. You know, there, there's obvious, those, there are those obvious truths that just jump out at you. But I love to... <clears throat> dig past them, and try to uncover truths that sometimes are a bit more camouflaged. And, and so our scripture today, if, if you were raised in church, and many of you were, our scripture will be quite familiar, but the truth that we want to extract from this lesson is not quite as familiar because it's not the typical focus of this story. Now, to find that little hidden gem, we're going to have to read an entire chapter from the Old Testament, but it's not like we're reading Psalm 119 that has 176 verses or whatever it does, but uh, this is a chapter that only has 16 verses, and they're pretty short verses. So if you want to just follow along while I read, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation today. But Sarai, and of course Sarai went through a name change, and a little bit later on, her name was changed to Sarah, and so we'll probably be referring to her mainly as Sarah. But Sarai, Abram's wife, and of course Abraham had a Abram had a name change, went from Abram to Abraham, and so we'll probably be referring to him more as as Abraham. But Sarai, Abram, Abram's wife, had no children, so Sarai took her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar. And gave her to Abram so she could bear his children. The, the Lord has kept me from having any children. And of course, this is just a really, really strange request from a wife to her husband. Sarai said to Abram, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. 
And Abram agreed. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram first arrived in the land of Canaan. So Abram slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. And then this kind of cracks me up right here, verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, it's all your fault. Now this servant of mine is pregnant and she despises me, though I, I myself gave her the privilege of sleeping with you. The Lord will make you pay for doing this to me. Isn't that a little bit humorous, even though it's pretty sad? Abram replied, since she is your servant, you may deal with her as you see fit. So Sarai treated her harshly, and Hagar ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a desert spring along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she replied. Then the angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her authority the angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you're now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard about your misery. The son of yours will be a wild one, free and untamed as a wild donkey. They could comment more there, but we'll go on. He will be against everyone. Man, this is so significant, and, and, and I, I could actually spend the rest of our study right here on this, but that's not the focus. He will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live at odds with the rest of his brothers. Thereafter, Hagar referred to the Lord who had spoken to her as the God who sees me. For she said, I have seen the one who sees me. Later, that well was named Beer Leheroi, and it can still be found between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old at that time. You know, well, let's just... Call time out and ask God to help us. Father, boy, this scripture has so much significance for 2016. And, uh, Father, help me to say exactly what I should. Nothing more, nothing less. And let us just be able to learn the truth that uh, you want us to learn this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If, if you would just allow me, and I don't want to insult your intelligence here, but I would like to recap this scripture in my own words, even though we've read the entire chapter. Abraham's wife, Sarah, desperately wanted children. But after years of marriage and after years of trying, their home remained childless. So Sarah began to do some thinking and and she came up with what she thought was a bright idea. Since, since it appears by the scripture that the reason that she and Abraham couldn't have children rested upon her, 
She came up with the idea to promote a one-night stand between her husband and her trusty maid or, or servant named Hagar. Now, this isn't the focus of our lesson today, but, but if you've been in church, you've probably heard multiple messages on this. But, but let me just say this in passing. Giving your servant so your husband can sleep with her, even if it's just to get a baby in the house, is never God's plan. I mean, it happened in those days, and you even hear of some isolated cases like this happening today. But don't for one moment think that God ever sanctions things like this. God doesn't work that way. Even when things seem impossible, when, even when it seemed like there, that there was no way to have a baby in the house, you know what? God sometimes works in miraculous ways, but not going against his, the principles in his word. And, and, and there's just a lot more we could say here, but that's not our focus today. So anyway, Sarah came up with this idea of a one-night rendezvous between her husband and Hagar. And both parties agreed, and not surprisingly, Hagar ended up pregnant. Now, initially, I'm sure that all three of them were excited. Abraham was probably excited because he was going to be a daddy. And at 86 years of age, he had to be feeling pretty good about his manhood. Hagar also had to be pretty excited because she was going to be a mommy. And, and not to mention that the father of the child, which was Abraham, was someone very influential and rich. So as a mere servant, she had to be feeling pretty good about her status as well. What about Sarah? Well, of course, Sarah was excited. She had concocted this whole plan. And, and even though it was kind of a strange way to go about it, yet she had to be excited because she probably thought that Hagar who was much more than just a servant to Sarah. In those days, many times servants were like part of the family. They were best friends. But, but she probably thought that her friend and faithful servant Hagar would carry the baby until it was born and then with great excitement give the baby over to Sarah to raise as her own. And, and she thought that Hagar would just smile, smile and watch Sarah's joy and just cheer her on. But as you can imagine, with plans like this, not everyone lives happily ever after. And really, ladies, can, can you imagine carrying a baby to full term, giving birth to that baby, and then just giving that baby over to your boss that happened to live in the same house as you lived in? And, and every day right in front of you, you would see your baby and, and, and hear your baby call your boss and best friend, Mommy! Well, that bright idea didn't turn out to be so bright after all. And the good relationship between Sarah and Hagar didn't even last until the baby was born. While Hagar was what was still carrying the baby, she began to sort of enjoy the fact that she was carrying Abraham's baby. And, and so she began to flaunt it over Sarah. And you know how that went over. It led to terrible friction between Sarah and Hagar, who at one time were probably best friends. Not only that, but that open, that whole situation opened the door for marriage problems between Abraham and Sarah. And, and we read this, but, but, but Sarah confronted Abraham and said, Abraham, this is all your fault and you brought this situation on us. And yeah, I arranged this. It was my idea, but it's still your fault. And I love the last part of verse 5. Sarah says, Abraham, God will get you for this. He'll make you pay. Well, Abraham was a wise man and probably knew that whatever he said would be wrong. 
And so finally he just said, Honey, Hagar works for you. She's your servant. You just take care of the situation however you want, and I'll support you. Well, Sarah did handle the situation. Not in a very godly manner, not in a very mature way. And she began to lash out at Hagar, and she became downright mean. Well, one day, Hagar, after constant berating and humiliation, came to the point to where she felt she couldn't take it any longer. And she made the decision to run away. And her sandal feet began moving swiftly over the rough and the rocky terrain that led to an endless desert away from Sarah. Now, while she was running away, I imagine that she felt a thousand different emotions. One of those emotions had to be fear. I mean, fear what was going going to happen to her. How would she as a single mom be able to support her son? And then there had to be fear for her son. Where would he grow up? Where would he call home? Who would his family be? How would he answer the question, well, son, who's your daddy? Another emotion that Hagar had to experience was anger, anger at Sarah. I mean, this whole situation came about because Hagar was just trying to do what Sarah asked her to do. And and then Sarah had turned on her. And I expect Hagar mentally practiced what she wished she could say to Sarah. I mean, Sarah, who do you, just who do you think you are? I mean, your, your name's Sarah, and, and of course her name was changed to, to Sarah, but Sarah means princess. And, and so, Sarah, your name might mean princess, but you're nothing but a bitter, barren old woman. And, and as for sleeping with your husband... Do you think that's what I really wanted to do? Just for your information, I do have some morals about me. That's more than you can say. You know, I'm just kind of imagining that this is maybe what Hagar was rehearsing in her mind. And, and when I slept with Abraham, I was just trying to please you. And now I'm carrying his child, which, by the way, is more than you could ever say. And, and Sarah, you better not follow me or I'll run and run and keep on running until I'm so far away you'll never find me. And that old man that you call your husband, and by the way, he is an old man. But even if he is the father of my baby, if you keep harassing me, he will never, ever get to see his baby. And you will never, ever get to hold his child. I don't know if you've ever had... Similar imaginary conversations, but um, unfortunately, I have. You know, sometimes I rehearse conversations that I think I would like to have my, with my wounders, and I sharpen my words like knives on flint. And as my words get sharper and sharper, I find myself getting angrier and angrier, and and more justified in self pity. And though most of the time I never speak the words out loud, yet they shred my inner peace because they keep my focus on those who hurt me. But can I just jolt us back to reality and say that those imaginary conversations are really a waste of our time. They're a waste of our energy. And what would be so much more helpful than having those confrontations in our mind is is to instead have conversations with God in prayer. And that's what David did. David was always being criticized. David was always being hurt by people. And and many of David's prayers in the Psalms were in response to being hurt by others. For example, listen to Psalm 5. 
Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sign. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. So evidently there had been probably an encounter with somebody who was arrogant. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. You ever think that? You know, the saying is that, you know, they're lying when their mouth is moving. That's basically what David is saying. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. But let all who take refuge refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. And, And so David, instead of rehearsing what he would like to say to his wounders, those who had hurt him, He just pours out his heart to God. But then, listen, this is the part I want want to point out. David begins his prayer complaining, expressing anger towards his enemies. But then you can almost pinpoint the place where his focus changes from his enemies to his God. In this psalm, he wraps up his prayer by expressing his praise to God, saying, For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as a shield. Which leads me to say this. It's okay to do some complaining to God. It's okay to pour out our hearts and tell God about the way we've been wronged. But listen, at some point in our talking to God, the focus needs to get off of us. And the focus needs to get off of our wounders, if that's a word, And we need to get the focus on God. And when that happens, when we quit looking at ourselves and feeling sorry for ourselves, and, and we quit looking at somebody else and feeling angry at them, and we look at God, the sting will lessen and the hurts will somehow seem much smaller. But one more thing before we get back to our lesson here. Maybe our conversations are not imaginary conversations with our wounders, but maybe our conversations are real conversations with others that we drag into the situation. Perhaps we have a tendency to gravitate towards complainers. Birds of a feather flock together. And perhaps we repeatedly open our wounds to the sympathetic ears, to sympathetic ears, and we tell other people how bad that person has been to us. It reminds me of an old saying, bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person gets sick. And so may I just ask you here, just a question, who have you invited to drink poison with you? Or how about this question, how long is the guest list for your pity party? Do we just need to open the altar up right now? And Are you gathering an audience to listen to your complaints? If you are, remember that pity parties never bring healing. They just deepen the wounds by repeatedly exposing them. 
And these kinds of discussions, they are focused on our hurts instead of our healer. And with Hagar, her focus was definitely not on the healer. She was running. Where was she running? She was running on the road to Shur, is what the Bible says. And what was significant about the road to Shur? Well, that was the road back to Egypt. That was the road back home for her. She was probably running back to Mama, back to her family, back to the familiar pagan and false gods of Egypt. You know, she kind of reminds me of the Apostle Peter. Remember in John chapter 21, verse 3, after his dismal failure as a disciple and he denied his Lord, what did he do? He went back to his prior life, occupation of fishing. And it wasn't an issue that he'd just gone fishing to try to clear his mind. But Jesus had called him to make disciples and he had left the calling that God had placed on him and he went back to his former way of life. You know, I read this week, and Pastor Surbrook, I'm sure you've been at this long, longer than I have, but I I, I read that 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month due to conflict, burnout, failure, etc. I've been there with those feelings. You know, I, I, I sometimes joke that I have a letter of resignation on my computer and all I have to do is just change the date. It's there. All I have to do is just press print. And, and sometimes that's the way we feel. And, and, and you've been there in your own situation as well. You know, we, we all fail at times. And, and when we're trying to do the right thing or we're, we're trying to live the right way, we're trying to be the right person, and we fail at that, the natural tendency is to just say, I can't do this. I've tried. There's no need to try. And, and what do we do? Many times we go back to our former way of life, to our former addictions to help drown out the pain. Well, it was at this miserable moment on the road to Shur that, that God showed up to Hagar and taught her a pro- profound lesson. And, and here is the profound lesson. Even if you can outrun your wounders, you can't outrun God. And as Hagar ran deeper and deeper into the desert, I, I, I can picture her heart just about beating out of her chest. And, and, and I just can imagine that she's just gasping for air. And... But then... Something happens that probably just about pushes that emotionally and physically exhausted woman over the edge. Out of the clear blue, there in the desert, an angel appears to her. Verse 7 said, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Now, Hagar might have been able to get away from Sarah, but she couldn't get away from God. And the angel of the Lord finds Hagar near a spring in the desert. Now, frankly, I don't ever remember seeing an angel, except for my wife. But besides that, besides her, I can't put on my resume that I've ever physically seen an angel. And so, therefore, I don't know how I'd react to seeing the sudden appearance of an angel. Uh, A week ago or so at Walmart... I was minding my own business, as I always try to do. 
And all of a sudden, I saw a streak out of the corner of my eye <clears throat> flying towards me at warp speed. And this bean grabs me in a massive bear hug and I think broke a couple of my ribs and lifted me off the ground. Now, I don't startle easily, uh, yet that did cause my heart rate to, heart rate to spike for a moment. Um, now, I, I quickly recognize that person that attends this church, and I probably wouldn't classify him as an angel. I might, have, might put him on the other, other side of the spectrum. I won't mention any names, Hans. Uh, <laughs> But, but here is Hagar. She's been running in the desert. She stumbles across a stream in the desert. And maybe she's grabbing a quick drink of water tr- before trying to get more distance between her and Sarah. But there at the spring, all of a sudden, an angel appears. And by the way, isn't that so godlike? God shows up suddenly, unexpectedly, out of nowhere. And and there are other places in the Old Testament where God shows up as an angel of the Lord. But can can I give you just a little bit of theology here? Sometimes we don't like theology, but, but, but just listen here. Scholars agree that the angel of the Lord is what they call a theophany, which means an appearance of the pre-incarnate Son of God. In other words, this angel of the Lord is Jesus before Bethlehem. It's Jesus before taking on human flesh. So what makes this even more amazing, and and this is so cool to me, is that the very first time we encounter the visible Son of God is at this spring revealing Himself to a woman, not a man. To a servant, not a warrior. To an Egyptian, not a descendant of Abraham. To a sinner, not a saint. To a slave, not a king. To an outsider, not an insider. The compassionate Savior shows up for the very first time in Scripture to a single, unwed, pregnant, wounded woman. And God intentionally seeks and finds her while she was running away. And I don't know what that does for you, but that blesses my heart. God sought after someone that we would have pretty much said, good riddance. Now the question is why? Why did God go after Hagar? Why didn't God just let her run away and let her die in the desert or maybe cause her to have a miscarriage or just let her return to Egypt where she would never, ever, ever, ever be heard from again? I mean, having Hagar out of the picture would have solved so many problems. It would have solved the marriage problems in Abraham's household. And, and, and then the biggie is that it would have solved the age-old battle between the Arabs and the Jews. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. So why didn't God simply dismiss her as Abraham did? Well, the incredibly wonderful and amazing answer is because this is going to blow you away now. This is really deep stuff. But it's because God loved Hagar. 
And here's that little hidden nugget that I've taken 30 minutes to get to. But it's a truth that we can't afford to miss. God loved Hagar and cared so much about the suffering of this unwed pregnant Egyptian servant that he left his throne in heaven and ran after her, pursuing her right into the desert. Even though she had partially brought some of this situation on herself. If you feel you're too bad for God to love you, you need to go back and study this story some more. Well, what does the angel say to Hagar? Well, God gives Hagar a message that she didn't want to hear. Has God ever given you a message you didn't want to hear? But she needed to hear it. And God said, Hagar, go back to Abraham and Sarah. Let me read it for you in verse 9. nine. Then the angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. In other words, Hagar, go back to your old job. Go back to your boss. Go back to Sarah and submit to her. What does that say to us? This is huge. This tells us that we must not run away from our conflicts. Don't run away from your conflicts at church. Don't run away from your conflicts at work or at home, which is what most of us do. You know, we have a conflict with someone. First thing we do is avoid them. Is that right? We run from them. But God says, Hagar, go back to Sarah. What is this saying to you today? Are you in a conflict with someone in this church or at work or in your family? I believe the powerful message is go back and resolve it. And then listen to this. This blows my mind. Verse 10, the angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. I mean, through this child that was conceived in a less than noble way, God said, I will raise up more descendants than you can count. And of course, this child that would be named Ishmael would become the father of the Arab people. And yes, even though God would eventually give a son to Sarah and and would choose him as the people through whom he would send his son Jesus, yet don't forget this powerful truth. God loved Hagar as much as he loved Sarah. And I, he said, I will raise up a great people through Hagar's son. And frankly, this is a truth that's sometimes hard to wrap our minds around, especially in a world... Track with me here, especially in a world that sometimes thinks that God cares more about Jews than he does Arabs. Or in a world where we sometimes think that God cares more about Christians than he does Muslims. Or in a world where some people think that he cares more about whites than he does blacks. Or in a world where we think that he loves those that go to church more than those who never go to church. Or in a world where some people think that he loves men above women or that he caters to rich people over poor people or that he loves godly people more than atheists or that he cares more about us than he does them. 
The truth is that God loves everyone with that same unconditional love that caused him to send his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What amazing, what incomprehensible, what undeserved love. Will you stay with me another five minutes here? Can I just quickly reinforce this concept from a great story in the New Testament? And then we'll be out of here by noon or so. And I'm not going to read it just to save time. But in Mark chapter 5, there was a little girl that was dying. She was 12 years old. While that was happening, Jesus happened to be speaking to a large crowd. But, but a leader, which would have been like, you know, one of our preachers today from a local synagogue came to Jesus and said, Oh, Master, my daughter's dying. My 12-year-old is dying. Would you come and heal her? And remember, Jesus is with the crowd. And I love this. Jesus, instead of saying, Well, can't you see? I'm in the middle of speaking to thousands of people here. Jesus left the crowd to be with this dying girl. That gives us a glimpse of the love that Jesus had for this little child. Well, on the way to this girl's house, she ended up dying. Mark 35, 5.35, someone says, Hey, Jesus, forget about going. It's, you know, it's too late. She died. Gone. And then they say... Why bother Jesus any longer? I mean, she's dead. Why bother? Why bother? Have you ever thought that? Why bother? You know, my marriage is so far gone. Why bother going to counseling now? Or I'm so far in debt, why bother putting a budget in place now? Or why bother staying pure when everyone else, even people in the church, seem to be messing around? And, you know, I've had this addiction for so long. Why bother trying to break free? And Or so-and-so, and I have been at odds for so many years. Why bother trying to reconcile? Why bother? Well, Jesus kept on walking and said, just have faith. And Jesus walked right into the bedroom of that little girl who was dead. Of course, you know what happened. He raised her from the dead. And that right there gives us the answer to to why bother. Why bother? Because Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is all-loving and can do exceeding abundantly above more than we can ask or think. Why bother? I mean, that's why we need to tap him on the shoulder and ask for help. That's why we need to put our faith in Him. Why bother? Because Jesus can do all things. You know, this, this is something I learned this week. Faith is used as a noun 243 times in the New Testament. But the word faith is also used as a verb 243 times in the New Testament. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that faith is equally about what we believe and what we do with what we believe. And there's one more thing. And I told that whole story just to mention this. This is one of those secondary truths that really connects this lesson to the story of Hagar. On the way to raise this 12-year-old girl from the dead, Jesus came across a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Catch that? Her bleeding problem began about the same time that this little girl was born. 
And notice a couple of contrasts here. The 12-year-old girl, her blood stopped flowing as she died, but this other woman's blood wouldn't stop flowing. Also, the 12-year-old girl came from a family that was well-to-do. The other lady with a bleeding problem was very poor. But Mark helps us to see that Jesus doesn't discriminate, educated or uneducated, rich or poor, young or old, male or female, godly or sinner, church or unchurched, Republican or Democrat, alcoholic or dry, gay or straight, good, bad or ugly, Jesus loves us all. And that doesn't mean that he condones all of those lifestyles. He doesn't. Sin will be judged. The wages of sin is death. But don't ever forget that he loves every human being regardless of the goodness or their badness. He loves us with an incomprehensible love that will not quit. So let's finish up by going back to Hagar one last time. Wherever you are, whoever you are, regardless of how bad you might think you have been, the God of Hagar is right there by you. And if you'll just quit running, and if you can just still the racing beat of your heart, and if you can just silence those imaginary conversations, if you'll just listen with the ears of your spirit, I think you will be like Hagar and you will hear the voice of Jesus not saying, hey you, but you'll hear the voice of Jesus calling you by name. And He will calm your fears and bring peace to your anxieties and bring you hope. So what's He saying to you today? Go back to your conflicts? Make something right? Is He saying, give your marriage another chance? And as I said last week, this is going to be an amazing week because Dale and Kathy... After 13 years of being divorced, they're going to be reconciled and come back in marriage this next week. It's just going to be so cool. So maybe he's saying, give your marriage another chance. Maybe he's saying, let me help you break out of your sinful lifestyle. Let's let the God of Hagar speak to us today. Would you stand? No, nobody looking, please. Every every eye closed. Is there somebody that would just say, Pastor God has really spoken to me today. Would you just pray for me? Is there someone that would just lift a hand? Just be honest. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand and yours. Anyone else? You know, I, I, I'm not going to take long here, but Maybe there's someone that would just like to come forward and say, you know what, I need, I need God. Maybe, maybe you've been questioning whether God exists or not. God's not intimidated by that. But all he does is he just says, look for the evidence. 
Maybe there's someone here that you would like to just seek Him with all of your heart. The Bible says, when you seek Him, He will be found. Anybody want to come? You want to pray before we go? Lord, we always talk about the God of Abraham, but Lord, today we just want to talk about the God of Hagar, this servant that became pregnant in a less than noble way, that was running, that was kind of cantankerous. But Lord, you went running after her into the desert. Lord, maybe there's someone here that's been running. Maybe there's someone here that's saying, why bother? Yeah, I'm too far into whatever. Why bother? Well, the reason we need to bother is because Jesus is all-powerful and He can cause us to break free. And so, Lord, I just pray right now for those that raise their hands, that have issues they are dealing with. I pray that in the name of Jesus, that they would be able to break free. Oh, God, I ask that chains would be broken today and that hearts would be mended, that relationships would be healed. And the Lord, we would just accept the forgiveness that the God of Hagar has for us. Thank you for this time in your word. We love your word. Thank you for giving us this amazing book. Let us live our lives according to it. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. If you have didn't have the courage to come forward, but you would like to talk or pray, whether it's today or throughout the week, make sure you contact us. We'd love to do that. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.